I always wear red lipstick when I interview men. Like I always need to have that power move. I'm always in a blazer. I'm always in a business suit because I feel like I spent so many years being the opposite person of that table, you know, the person on the opposite end of that table and being sort of like, not judge, but question and being told what to do, where it kind of feels good to have a little bit of that power and like look good doing it. That was a clip from today's episode. I really hope you're enjoying it so far. Before we get into the full episode, just want to give a big shout out to you all for listening. Just want to say thank you and welcome to the Quintueras podcast brought to you by Plural. Today we have a special guest, my dear friend, Carla Gualdron, journalist El Mundo, Boston Latino 30 Under 30, program director of Right Boston, and most importantly, proud, orgullosa, Colombiana y Dominicana. Let's just get to the episode. Here you go. Carla, never change. Like, keep being you. <laughs> and like... Tell me that. But sometimes yeah. like, damn, is it for your entertainment? Or is it <laughs> genuinely like, should I not change? It sounds like you were like that at such an early age, though. I was. I feel like I've always had a big personality. No, I definitely always had a big personality because I remember, you know, when they used to have like open house and your parents had to go meet you, like your middle school teacher. Yeah, yeah. I very specifically remember my middle school teacher telling my mom, your daughter is a social butterfly, aka your daughter's a fucking distraction in the whole class. Like she got to stop making friends with everyone. She got to stop talking. Um, but that's always been me. And I've always, I don't know, like I just, never felt the need to censor myself unless it was like in a professional setting and then it was a matter of coach switching and not censoring myself because I feel like I could be myself at work with some you know some coach switching but I'm still me um and it's just like I don't know being fake is kind of exhausting you gotta be like you really have to think about it and I'm, there's like too many things to think about in the world to think about like being me and being authentic so it's just like, it's not worth it to me. Where did you get that confidence? Because I feel like that's a lot of what it is. And like, you say like you were a social butterfly, but that had to come somewhere. Well, like, was your mom or your dad just like, Yo, no, were they social butterflies? Like, how did you get that? Uh, definitely not my dad. Um, my dad's a little bit like Shrek. My dad's like, girl, go away. Like, <laughs> nah, <laughs> I know y'all are my kids, but like, de lejo, like, go play over there. <laughs> I think that my mom, in her life before us, my mom had us really young. My mom was a teen mom. My parents got married super young. She um, looks like a, your sister. Like, my mom is old as fuck. Your mom looks like she's 30. Yo, you don't understand when I go out with her. I love going out with her because I'd be prostituting her out. Yo, no shame. I'd be like, yo, you want to buy this woman a drink? Yeah, she's cute, right? That's my mom. <laughs> and they're like... That's weird, but also your mom is beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love that. I would, I, would, I would buy your mom a drink. I would do that. I, I would let you buy my mom a drink. Because <laughs> <laughs> that comes with one for you, right? <laughs> and they're going to be like, oh, tell me more about how, how, are, how do you look like sisters? But anyways, like before my mom, what I, I guess I, out of my sisters, I, I'm probably closest personality-wise to my mother. 
my mother, like when you get her in the right mood, in the right setting, in the right mood, my mother is a lot like me. She's like drinks, music, bring everyone together. Yo, my first, when we first went into quarantine, you know how many Zoom meetings my mom was like in the back, like trying to give me shots. And I'm like, cut it out. Like, yo, like I'm the director, I'm having a staff meeting. Like you can't just be like, Mira, toma tu shot. And then she'd be like, yo, no, there's this video where you can just hear mom like, if you don't get off your meeting, I oh, yeah, yeah. ruin it. And I'm like, yo. <laughs> you posted uh, that one, right? Yes, I did. I did. But yeah, that was, that's, I feel like I get it from my mother. But besides that, I'm just really interested in people. Like, I just really like talking to people. Like, I have been at, literally, I was at the W in Boston. Um, and there was, I was there and there was an old white man by himself, by himself. And it was like a Friday night. It was hip hop night. Like this man was out of place. Old white man, just absolutely like, what are you doing here drinking Bud Light? Like the worst beer ever. Like this is so trashy of you. You look so out of place. But I so wanted to know his story. What brought you here? Are you here alone? Are you at a conference? Are you a doctor? Are you like some bioengineer? Are you going through a divorce? Are you, you single? Are you single, right? Or do you really just have a fascination with women of color? We curvy, <laughs> a lot of it. Like, I just need to know. And like, that desire to want to know people's stories and, and like my lack of like filter where I'm just like, tell me your deepest darkest secret. I just met you 30 seconds ago, but what ticks you? What, what puts a fire in your belly? Like that is just such a, it comes so natural to me which is another reason why I was just naturally drawn to journalism, because I always say it's, it's an excuse to be professionally nosy. I can't ask you about <laughs> your feelings on like big controversial social issues because I'm acting as a journalist and I'm trying to get information and write a story. Um, so I feel like it all correlates in a weird way. You were talking about like, you had a conference call the other day and your mom was like, yo, come over here, let's take a shot, blah, blah. And you were like, mom, I got to be professional. Like, how do you think about like being professional, but also staying authentic, like at work, like, like that balance or like, yeah. It's such an interesting dance <laughs> because there are times where like I'm frustrated at work and what I would want to do if I was alone is like scream mad swear words at the top of my lungs in like all the languages, like English, Spanish, languages that I've come up, Cambodian, like all the languages that have been around me in my whole life. And I'm just like, Ugh. but then you're at the office and you're like, well, one, I am a person, um, I'm, in the, I'm in a leadership position. I'm the program director. I have people who look up to me. So I can't just be screaming fuck balls shit at the top of my lungs at the office. I got to keep it together. So it's, it's interesting because I, over the years as I've gotten comfortable with my organization. So I work at a super, super small nonprofit. We were literally nine full-time employees, all women. We have two service members that rotate each year. Um, so basically kind of like glorified interns, like a glorified internship when you do like a year of service to a nonprofit. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I, when I was first hired, I was the only person of color on staff. And so... I had to wrestle with a lot of feelings of, I know I deserve this and I'm qualified, but I'm also very much a diversity recruit. But I'm gonna let that slide because I'm gonna show you that 
I can do this regardless, even if no matter what, I can do this job and I can do it well. So as I've grown my team, I've been very, very intentional about recruiting people of color, bringing diversity, um, and diversity means a lot of things. Um, so I'm intentional about racial diversity, gender diversity, sort of like however in all the ways you identify diversity, you're gonna find all that and then some on my team. And once I've built that team, I feel like it's been even easier to be authentically myself because I, even when I am like having my moment and I need to be like, coñazo, these kids, like, I know that the people on my team are looking at me like, yeah, we feel you. And like the white team, it, not the white team, but the white people on my team are kind of like, like they're not surprised. Like, I don't feel like no one understands me. Like there are people who understand me. Um, but it's really interesting because I work at a, at a nonprofit, which means that I'm constantly connecting with funders. Mm -hmm. So I have to, you know, sell. You, you gotta sell your program. You want people to give you money. Why should we give you money? Why should we invest in the work that you do with the students that you serve? Um, and for me, me, Carla, I wanna be like, yo, like us brown, black, inner city kids got lots of shit to say and y'all motherfuckers need to hear it. But then I'm like, okay, how do I say that in grant, in grant writing, you know? Like, well, the population of urban students that we serve are often marginalized and attend under-resourced and underfunded schools. Therefore, we are trying to create opportunities to bridge them, you know, blah, 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 blah. So it's like, I have to find a happy medium because I feel like when I'm too rehearsed, Como que they're not they're not buying it. Mm -hmm. But when I'm like, mira, I was one of these kids. I benefited from this program. It was the reason why I decided to become a professional journalist, and now I'm giving back. And when you marry sort of the two, like I'm bringing my authentic narrative and my authentic feelings, and I'm presenting to you in a way that's still professional. I feel like I'm not losing. I'm not losing the story. Like I'm being my authentic self, but you are also interested. Like it's not turning anyone away because that's where we have to be careful, especially people like me that I tend to be louder and have a lot of personality because you don't, especially like in nonprofits and fundraising, I don't want to shy anyone away where they're like, oh, too risky, too much, too this. Like, no, I'm, I'm a professional, but I am also me. I also thought it was interesting, like when you were talking about um, being authentically yourself, it was a lot of ways, it was a lot about like how you speak. But a lot of a lot of uh, a lot of people like how they suppress their identities too is like how they show up and like their appearance. Like, do you feel like right now, for example, like you showed up to this interview um, or like this conversation with your hair curly? Oh yeah. And I love that. hoodie, and like I was like. Yeah. But, I but also, you showed up to before this. You met your students, right? You went to go see your students, and you didn't show up in like a suit. You showed up in just like Carla. This is me, right? But like when you show up to your donors, right, or, you're, or you have these like sales conversations, like what do you look like? Do you look oh, the same? Man. There's, it depends. It, <laughs> I have a lot of feelings around that. So I have a lot. I have a, I have lot, a lot of feelings. Of feelings. Lot. Yeah, me too. Me too. So since <laughs> 2017, um, 
I've been completely natural. So what I mean by that is that I don't straighten my hair. Um, I don't put in heat. Like I was just fed up with it. I was fed up with the culture around Dominican salons and sort of like the cheese man that you're listening to. Also the, just like sometimes the unprofessionalism that you're there for three hours and then they take three girls in front of you and you're here in Rolos for like five hours and you're like, yo, when is it my turn? And at this point I might as well sleep here because it's gonna be tomorrow. Oh, it's an all, it's an all day event. It's an all day event. And for me, it just didn't make sense, especially in the summer because I'd spend $40, $50, get my hair done. I step outside one little bit of humidity and I was like, oops. And I was like, I just, this is a waste of money and a waste of time. A waste of money yeah. and a waste of time. So I stopped and that was a very conscious decision. Also because I grew up um, in a super, como se dice, like, I just grew up around a lot of women, both friends and family members that were very much about their appearance and I've never truly been like that. I'm just like, Sometimes I think it's, it's a little sloppy. I think it's cultural too. Like, definitely. It's funny. So I see my whenever I see my grandma, the first thing she tells me is something on my appearance. It's like, tú estás gordo, tú estás comiendo, estás comiendo mucho, or like, ay la valva. It's never like, how are you? The first thing, and it's not. I hear that from everybody, right? It's like, okay. But it's always appearance-based, and I think it's just culturally, like, who we are. It's very much culturally, and it's very much, those compliments of appearance are related to affection. So, cuando yeah. dice, ay, tu ta flaquita, tu te ves bien, yeah. oh, te puede casar, and I'm like, mm. <laughs> okay, thanks. <laughs> or, like, now that I, I, you know, WhatsApp, face, video time, whatever, the Tech, no, whatever the word is on WhatsApp, but when I video chat with my family in Colombia, especially like my uncles and my grandma, the first thing my grandma says is, no te ponga más gorda because then you won't get married. And I'm like, okay, bendicio mamá, thanks for that. <laughs> you know? Hi, hi to you too, grandma. You know? right. Yeah. Or she's always like, ay, tus churcos, tus churcos, tan tan lindo, like I love them. Um, oh, wait, what's churcos? What is that? Churcos is that is Colombia for curls? Yeah, so like, Churcos, crespos, that's like interchangeable for curly hair. And, and no one on my Colombian side has curly hair. This is from my Dominican side. This is from, this is, uh, you know, this black ancestry, this African ancestry right here. I love it. I, I treasure it. I take care of it. I moisturize it, you know? <laughs> um, so yeah, appearance is always a thing. So when it comes to work and my appearance, um, Ever since 2017, I've been more intentional and more intentional about my hair um, and making sure that I have that conversation with my students because my students obviously notice they're like, oh, you don't straighten your hair no more. And I'm like, yeah, do you want to talk about it? How do you feel about hair? And so it, it sparks really interesting conversation where I feel like even this generation now is, is even more understanding and more accepting. And they're like, yeah, Carla, that's really cool where like my older cousins and my older sister may be like we don't get it go straighten your hair you look like a loca like you're, you're having a bad hair day and you can't hide it and I'm like well I don't really mind not being able to hide it it's my hair it's how it literally goes out of my head so yeah. what why do I have to suppress why do I have to suppress that in order to make other people feel comfortable or feel attracted to me if you don't like my pajon then that's yeah. on you that's on and you it, 
yeah, pajon, pelo malo. Like, there's so many terms that are just like culturally nor cultural norms at this point, and they're just yeah, yeah. People just talk about it. Um, that's dope. I love the fact that you're telling your students that as well, because like it's such an important lesson to teach people. But I think when you're, I don't know if you realize this as well, but like you're having just by you being a director and a leader in like this position at your company, like kids are looking up to you and they're looking at like, oh shit, I can be a director and look like that. You know what I mean? And I think that it's always, for me at least, it's always been like a trade-off. Like it's either I'm a director or like I'm an executive and I like shave my beard or like I don't talk the way I talk, I don't look the way I look. Or like I can look the way I look, but like I'm just gonna never be like a CEO and stuff like that. But like having yeah. both, it creating that representation is so important. Um, so it was, it meant even more to me because as you mentioned earlier, like I wasn't always in, in a journalism job in between yeah. like being a journalist and having this job as the program director of my youth journalism program. I used to work selling cars, which was yeah. such an interesting detour in my life. But it meant that I was with men 24-7, I was always the only saleswoman at each dealership that I worked at. Men in suits. And then they would be like, oh, Carla, like, you need to wear, you need to wear suits to work. And I'm like, mm, do I? I'm still selling cars. My numbers are so good. My customers still like me. Like, did I go dress professional? Yes. But they're like, you know, like, a nice pantsuit would be nice. Like, oh, we like when you straighten your hair more. Like, why don't you straighten your hair more? And I'm like, mm, y'all need to stop with all that y'all would really all really get into me so like obviously I would let it slide because I was like you know I was the only usually the only person of color usually the only woman and I was just like whatever I'm gonna let it rock I understand that this is different for them it's a different culture it's a different look whatever but as soon as I was I came into a position of power where I had nobody telling me what I needed to look like or what they liked for me to look like I was like I this is it. I can express myself any way that I want. And I found myself that even, even through like through my first year at my organization, I stopped wearing all of my professional clothes that I wore to the dealership. Like I wasn't wearing my pencil skirts. I wasn't doing like the button down and this and that. Like, obviously I still look professional. I still look polished, but it was with my own spin. Like I'm going to wear like nice, like a dressy, you know, higher end jeans with a heel, but I'm gonna wear like a cute sweater and I, my hair's curly and I don't feel the need to straighten it for you because you're not judging me on my appearance. You're judging me on the quality of the work that I'm doing with, with the youth that we serve. So I felt, I found myself that over the years I've been a little bit more relaxed and I've been able to play with um, what a lot of people consider like, um, business casual which is where honestly i feel the most comfortable business casual big curly hair and then a bold lip so that's another thing that when i am interviewing um people for positions on my team i do find that if i am interviewing a man i'm gonna bring out all the stops i'm wearing <laughs> a blazer i'm wearing a red lipstick like i am going to show you that even though you're older than me and you are a man, I'm the one in charge. I'm interviewing you. And that, and I am very conscious about that. I always wear red lipstick when I interview men. Like I always need to have that power move. I'm always in a blazer. I'm always in a business suit because I feel like I spent so many years being the opposite person of that tape. You know, the 
person on the opposite end of that table and being sort of like, not judge, but question and being told what to do, where it kind of feels good to have a little bit of that power and like look good doing it. Yeah, so go. Have five moves. I like it. <laughs> you mentioned red lipstick, right? And you mentioned like in 2017, like you did just straight up natural, right? Like I'm assuming those things make you feel powerful, make you feel authentic. Like when do you feel the most authentically yourself, but also powerful and confident? Like what makes you feel like that? Oh, such a good question. Um, I would say that it has nothing to do with looks or what I'm wearing or anything like that. It's yeah. actually when I am facilitating really thoughtful and thought-provoking conversations with my youth. Um, that's when I feel most powerful because I feel like they're, especially in schools, there were not enough spaces for students to have really genuine conversations about race, identity, gender, inequality, or whatever else is affecting them in their everyday life. So to me, being that trusted adult that is able to relate to them, understand those issues, probably on a deeper level than other adults could. Um, I feel really powerful sort of being that person that one, creates a space, and two, allows young people to truly express themselves and have conversations amongst one another about how they feel. And they're able to say like, I'm this white kid from Dorchester and this has been my experience. And this person can be like, well, I'm the Spanish kid from Jamaica Plain and this has been my experience. It's a two totally different experience even though we're totally in the same city and we are all neighbors, but this is how we feel, this is how all of these social, economical, cultural issues are affecting us. And the fact that I am the one that is like the fact that I'm the reason why this conversation is happening and these youth feel empowered, that's when I feel like a fucking boss. I'm just like, I did that. You see that? You see those kids having a conversation that adults can't have because they don't know how to express themselves or they feel uncomfortable? That's powerful.